Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. All right, well, Romans chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there, maybe uh, you have your, an app on your phone or you're using the Rolling Hills app, you can follow along with the notes and the Scripture there as well. We'll have the, uh, the Romans passages on the screen behind me as, as we work through them. Uh, as well. Uh, Again, I just want to say for maybe some of you who weren't in the room when we uh, did the welcome earlier, happy Mother's Day. Uh, We're we're excited just to be able to celebrate that. Fellas, we've said it enough now. Uh, You have no excuse. Uh, If you didn't get something done, um, if you're on a scramble right now, I'd, I'd encourage you to download the Open Table app. This is what it looks like on your phone. Uh, expand that search to maybe Huntsville. Maybe you can get a table somewhere uh, for lunch or dinner. Uh, I, I, maybe, maybe you'll follow my example. I, I, I told Rebecca that our, the greatest gift that I could give her on Mother's Day is a Sunday afternoon nap. She gets every week. Um, but we give that every, we give that to her. And then, uh, and then we would go to dinner later when it wasn't as busy, uh, which is um, genius. The, um, but, and, and, you know, I also know that creativity kind of, or, or crisis breeds creativity. And so maybe uh, I think that there's probably a way that you could make this worship guide into a Mother's Day card. Um, I don't know. But either way, uh, uh, hopefully it has already been and will continue to be uh, a great Mother's Day uh, for you guys. We're going to jump into Romans chapter 4, uh, where I find it hilarious and maybe a little ironic that the word circumcised is used 10 times in four verses. Um, you're welcome for uh, new table talk conversations this afternoon uh, during, uh, during dinner. But, but we're, as we talk through this passage, you know, one of the things that, I, that I've recognized that even as we've gone through these first four chapters is this, that, that uh, there's, and I think you would agree, that there's a difference between pros and the average Joe, right? Just the, the, the professional and the average Joe. And, and lots of different reasons. There's, in, in my life, I would say there's some obvious number of ways that, that there's a difference between a pro and just me as, as, a, as a dad or as, a, as T, right? And one of those is, is cooking, right? What I can prepare uh, and I'd make a mean barbecue chicken quesadilla. I mean, it's, it's real good. My kids talk about it all the time. Uh, but I'm not opening a restaurant with barbecue chicken quesadillas, right? Uh, what I do versus a chef is pretty, pretty different. What a pro does there, a chef, their culinary expertise versus what I do, uh, is, is, there's a vast difference. Landscaping, uh, I rode by somebody the other day. It was a guy that had a weed eater, and, and I, I, was, I, I was sitting at the light, and I was like, how does he do that? Right, because when I use my weed eater, it's like, and then like I have to like do the the string again. I, like some of y'all are like, he's not a man. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like I make marks. It's horrible. And it was like clean. And this, I, so anyway, I, I don't know if this guy was a pro or not, but he was doing a much better job than I was. Like anything construction, the difference between me and a pro is pretty obvious. Right? Again, y'all, like, is this guy at all a, a, a man? Like, maybe I don't know. Athletics. I used to work out at this gym. I know y'all can tell. Um, 
A long time ago, I worked out. It just stayed around. I worked out at this gym where uh, in the off-season of uh, football and baseball, professionals would come and work out with, with trainers there. And one year, uh, some professional football players, some like linebackers came in, and they watched us do our workout, and then they did their workout, and I watched them. Uh, it was very different what my body did versus what their body did. Uh, and they laughed at us a lot uh, while they were watching us. It was pretty, pretty ridiculous. One of the other things that I would say I, that, that's a difference for me uh, and versus a pro versus just a regular person is arguing, right? Like a lawyer, those kind of like, and specifically log, building logical arguments to get my point across is a skill that I probably lost. If I had to guess a date, September 18th, 2004, that's my anniversary. Uh, I haven't won an argument since that day. Not just with my wife, period. I've lost the ability to, to formulate a logical argument and, and present it in such a way that I win uh, any argument and win in quotations, right? It's been a, it's been a rough 19 years uh, for me in that regard. Happy Mother's Day, Rebecca. But, but for Paul, and I'm going somewhere with all of this, but for Paul, he's a pro when it comes to putting together a logical argument, right? We talked about this last week, that for the, for the first hundred years of Harvard, uh, or Harvard University, that first-year students had to read the book of Romans as an example of what it looks like to create and formulate a logical argument. And what Paul's done since really Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to Romans chapter 3, verse 31, where we left off last week, is, is inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. He's given us a master class in what it looks like to developing and presenting a logical argument and, and kind of arguing his case forward. And now in chapter 4, what he's going to do is he's going to bring in this example. He's going to bring in an example to his audience. He's going to go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the beginning, right, of, 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 this, of God establishing for himself a people. Goes back to Genesis and to solidify this point that our salvation, that our righteousness is not built on what we do. It's not built on works, but rather faith. It's to say what he's, what he's going to do, what he's, what he's trying to do in this, in this part, especially in chapter 4, is to say, hey, listen, what I'm telling you, all of this that I'm building this argument towards for the first couple of chapters of this book that, that we read as chapters. Remember, there weren't chapters when he wrote this. There weren't verses then. But as he's building to this and he gets to what we know now as chapter 4, he's going to say, this is not a new argument. This is old. This is original. For the people of God, this is an original argument that your salvation, that your righteousness before holy God is not based on what you do. It's based on him and your faith in him. And I believe as we work through, he's, he's going to talk a little bit about David, but mostly he's going to talk about Abraham. And so we're going to focus our attention on Abraham and look at three things that, about Abraham's faith that I believe will encourage our faith and challenge our faith and then, and then finally equip us to grow deeper roots of faith in God. Before we jump in uh, and read through a couple of these past, a couple of these verses together, let me uh, let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you, and and we do. We just we pause before you, and recognize that this is your word. And we pray that you would open our eyes to the beauty of it, that we would behold the beauty of your word, and you would draw us near to it, to you as we read it, as we study it. Father, cause our hearts to be stirred to a greater love for you and a deeper faith in you that would look like obedience, faithful obedience to you, no matter what the cost. 
God, we pray that you would meet us here by the power of your spirit. And you would teach us this morning from your word. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. The first thing that I want you to see is you're, if you're following along on your worship guide, that the first thing we're going to look at is, is an assessment of Abraham's faith. An assessment of Abraham's faith. And we'll look through the first 17 verses and just follow along on the app or the screen or your, your Bible there as we, as we read through this. And this is what it says, beginning in verse 1, it says, What then shall we say about Abraham, our, fa- our forefather according to the flesh, discovered on this matter. And so he's coming back to the end of chapter 3, right, that, that our faith is built on, our, our righteousness is built on, on faith in him, that what did he discover? In fact, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credit as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks to the blessedness of those whom God credits righteousness apart from work. When he says in verse seven, he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sins the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Or is it for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believed but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but also, but, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he, had, he was circumcised. Verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be an heir to the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depended on the law were heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgressions. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be granted to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have faith, have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. And it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and and calls into being things that are not. After a conversation this week, with Pastor Jacob Scrimpture, who preached a couple weeks ago here, uh, kind of at the close of the last series, uh, he, he was talking about the, when he trusted Christ for salvation, when he, like in the very early days when, when God began to plant the seeds of the gospel in his heart, he, was, he went to a VBS in his hometown uh, and had no church background at all. He just went with a friend that was in the neighborhood. And uh, one of the things that he recognized there was that, that people really, uh, they liked Abraham. 
uh, they sang the song, Father Abraham had many sons. If you're not around church forever, then you may not know this. Uh, and they, he had many sons, and, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, anybody? I don't know what the right arm has to do with Father Abraham, but we swing that arm, and then you go to the left arm, and the, all, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Jacob said, he, he was like, man, these guys really have, a, have an affinity for, um, for Abraham, but he thought it was Abraham Lincoln. He didn't understand why people in the church thought Abraham Lincoln was such a big deal, right? And so I thought maybe, maybe, just maybe what we needed to do was pause and be like, who is this guy Abraham? Why, why is he so important? So before we kind of dive too far, who is Abraham? Why is this guy so important? And, and it says, if you're following along, that he's the father of all who believe. Right? He, he kind of give, he's given this description. He's the father of all who believe. The, the name Abraham means father of multitude. And before his name was changed to Abraham in, in, in Genesis chapter 17, his name, when God met him, when God, when God introduced or the story begins with Abraham, his name was Abraham, which means exalted father. And so from the very beginning, father is a part of who he is. Right, we'll get to some more of the details of that, but we see it in chapter 4 multiple times. There's three or four times, maybe even a couple more, that, that he talks about being the father of many nations, or he's the father, he's our father of those who believe in the sight of God. And, and outside of Moses in the old, from the Old Testament, there's no other character. Let me say, I'm going to say this differently. Outside of Moses, there's no other character from the Old Testament that's mentioned more in the New Testament than Abraham. So Moses is number one, Abraham's number two, mentioned in, in, the, in the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, refers to Abraham as God's friend. That's the, he's the only one in all of Scripture that is given that designation as God's friend. Believers of all generation, according to Galatians, again, Paul writes this, are children of Abraham. And it's hard to overstate how, how important Abraham is in the history as a whole, in the whole world, but especially for Christians. Abraham is at the head. He's the beginning of three major world religions, of Judaism, of Christianity, and of Islam. I mean, if you just work through the story, he has a son. Before he has Isaac, he has a son named Ishmael. And if you follow that line, that's the beginning of, of, of Islam. Not only that, it's the beginning of Judaism, and we recognize him as the beginning of Christianity. All three, there's, there's, there's hard to overstate how, how, how significant he is in history as a whole. The Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 230 verses that refer to Abraham. The bulk of those are in, are in Genesis 11 through 25, and the 230 doesn't refer to him. Does, does, that counts even the passages where it's referring to him as Abram as well. So and there's, a, there's so many. And, and, when, and in reference, it, the reference to, to that it, in 11 through 25, it gives us this biological, this kind of where he came from, a little bit about his family. And, and uh, we said this again a second ago that his, before God changed his name in, in chapter 17, his name was Abram. And he's married to this lady named Sarah, whose name was Sarah before he changed her name. And, and, and their names just matched what he had for them. And um, in the, the past, in the New Testament, they, pat, they, they point back to Abraham and who he was in this, in this historical events and how they, they connect to who we are as Christians and as followers of Christ today. We don't know much, and just to kind of wrap this, we don't know much about Abraham in his early life because when we meet him in Genesis chapter 11, that we, he's already 75 years old. 
And what we know in that passage, what we know from, from the early days is that he lived in the land of Ur, uh, where, which is an influential land. They actually have a picture of what is modern-day Ur, right? Yeah, this is, this is modern-day Ur. These are uh, like some ruins that they've uncovered from that. They think this is actually Abraham's house. Um, that's not true. I'm just picking. Uh, but the, this, that's the land of Ur, and it's, it's, uh, it's in what in, in modern-day or in Mesopotamia in kind of the... Um, where, where am I at? Let's see. In, um, what's the name of that place? Because it was very important for me to say that. Uh, near the in, southern part of Mesopotamia, near, near what is modern-day Baghdad. And so just to kind of give us a picture of where we're coming from, right? The Middle East where, where there's, all, there's so much turmoil and, and things are like, they estimate that this city is 5,800 years old. The city of Ur, where this, these things are uncovered. We're going way back, right? Abraham has two brothers, a, a, a brother named Nahor and Haran. Haran has a son named Lot. Lot goes with Abraham later on when, when he leaves. And, and, and the story of Abraham really becomes interesting in chapter 12. When God calls Abraham to leave everything that he has, his family, his land, everything that he knows, his gods, because Abraham lived in a society that was polytheistic, meaning they worshiped many gods. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon for Abraham to be one who worshiped many gods in that, in that time, like the people that were around him. But at 75 years old in chapter 12, at 75 years old, God calls this childless man to follow him and to listen to what it says. Verse Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And all the people, peoples of earth will be blessed through you. That's fulfilled later in scripture. All the we are all the peoples of earth that were blessed through Abraham's obedience. And what a calling, right? What a promise that he, that he gives. But honestly, where it gets wild is in verse four, where it says this, the very first parts of verse four, it says, so Abram went as the Lord told him. This is just the beginning for us to answer the question of who is Abraham. I, I, there's a reason why we say, I don't know why it's left arm, right arm, and let's just praise the Lord. But there's a reason why we sing, like why Abraham is so important is because it goes all the way back to him. It goes all the way back to the, begin, the beginning of our faith and, 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 and the line of Abraham comes through all of these. God establishes a people and from those people, Jesus comes and we are all blessed because of Abraham's faithfulness. And if you keep reading, and I encourage you to go, go to these passages, 11 through 25, and read the, the story. It's a fascinating story. And, 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 and the reality is that it, it tells the story of Abraham. And Abraham, it, it, he's not perfect, right? It's a it's a great story of a faithful, of the faithfulness of God and this faithful man. But he isn't perfect. Honestly, he makes some pretty dumb decisions as you walk through the story. Some really dumb things that he does. 
And, and just to chase that rabbit just a second, it's one of the things that I love the most about Scripture is that we get to learn more about these heroes, these people that have gone before us in, in, in the faith, that, that, that so much we learn from them and, and see their, their story. But, the, but what happens in Scripture is that God doesn't hide the fact that they were boneheads, just like you and I sometimes. They make dumb decisions. They don't follow God all the time. And even as we say he, he was faithful, that doesn't mean that he did everything faithful every day. And what it, what it tells us as we read those passages and what we, we cannot forget is that none of the story of Abraham is about Abraham. Ultimately, we learn about his faithfulness, but it's story, the story is not about Abraham. It, what it reminds us of is that every breath, every heartbeat, everything that happens in our lives is more about God than it is about, uh, about us. That ultimately, God is the hero, not Abraham. That God is the hero. And as you turn the pages to the New Testament, the gospel tells us what the gospel says is that Jesus is the true and better Abraham. I, I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says, that the, he says that Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave, answered the call of God to leave all of, com all of what was comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void where he would create for God a new people. So this is the story of Abraham, but it's more about God than it is about Abraham. And for us, it's a reminder that maybe there's so many things going, but it, all, of the, all of our lives are more about glorifying him because it's his work, not our work. And so he deserves the glory. So as we assess this faith and just kind of the story of Abraham, assess the faith, the second thing that I, that I, want, to see, I want us to see is this, that, that, that faith is more than belief the object of our faith matters. In making an assessment of, of, Abraham's, of Abraham's faith, what, what, what we need to see is that faith is more than just belief. It's the object of our faith that matters, right? In verse 3, it doesn't say that Abraham believed or Abraham trusted or Abraham had faith as if that his belief or his trust or his faith is what saved him or what made him righteous. It says that he believed God that he trusted God, that the object of his faith was God. Righteousness or salvation for Abraham comes as faith in God. From his trust in God, from his trust and his confidence in God and the power that God had and the ability that God has to provide for and to make good on the promises that God made. It wasn't just faith. It was faith in something, in something greater than himself, in something bigger than himself. And the reason that matters for us is because we all have faith in something. We as creation, it, it says that we have eternity in our hearts, which means that we, we desire, we know that there's something outside of us that's bigger than us, something that we must, that, that there's, there's something that we really must trust in. And, and foolishly, sometimes we put it on ourselves, but there's this whole picture of us trying to do it in other, different, in other ways. And, and St. Augustine of Hippo famously said this, that he says, you have made us, talking about God, you have made us for yourself. I've said this so many times, it's, it, you should know it by now that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That over and over, like what we do is, is our restless hearts put faith in lots of different things. We put faith in faith. We put our confidence in our faith, which means that we're the center of it again. If my faith is in my faith, then my faith is failing all the time. 
My faith, we put our faith in our works and our good deeds and our right deeds, hoping that we balance the scales and have more good than we have bad. We put our faith in our personal goodness. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody, when you share the gospel with them, they explain to you that they're a good person. Compared to who? Right? And and listen, you can get mad at me, but it's scripture that you're really mad at because it tells us in Romans, we just read this just a little bit ago or last weekend, that there is no one that's good. Because we're not comparing ourselves to each other. We're comparing ourselves to him. And it doesn't matter if you're good compared to me. It matters if you're good to compare to him. And you're failing in that one. So if your faith is in your personal goodness, you failed. We have our faith in our knowledge, knowing the right things. We have faith in knowing the right people, knowing the right, having the right possessions. If we just have these things, then life will be good. If we just have the right position in work or just the right financial situation, then, then we'll, have, we'll, we'll have all that we need. We have faith in a myriad of different things. It, it never ends. So the object of our faith is what matters. And it's only the object. It's only when the object of our faith is God that it's credited to us as righteousness. That's what it tells us about Abraham. And I wanna press in just a little bit of faith. It's not just faith in God as if he's some arbitrary existence, right? I wanna just press in just a little bit to say, James tells us that you believe, it says, he says that you believe that there's one God, good. Even Even the demons believe and shudder. So it's not just that there is a God, but that you trust him with everything. Faith of Abraham, the faith that, that is the reason righteousness is credited to him, the faith that saves him, that saved him, is when we place our confidence and our trust in God's promises and the provision and in his power and ability to do what he says he'll do. And as you kind of work through the, just kind of as a reflection on us, just a couple of things, just here, the elements of our faith. There's four things that I want to just kind of point out. Before, before we move on, the elements of our faith as we kind of grow in these things. That there, the first is that there's a logical element to our faith. Right? This is when we say we look around and it makes sense, right, that there's something bigger than me. It's what, it's what Scripture says. We said in Romans chapter 1, Jeff, Pastor Jeff mentioned this a couple weeks ago. He said, he said that since what has been made, excuse me, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people were without excuse. There's this logical that we can look around and logically know, even if we reject it, we can logically know that there's something, something bigger than us. It's a step, it's an, it's a, it's an element of faith that just there, there's the logical reality, there's the emotional reality emotional elements of our faith that, that I really want to, I really want, I, I want to believe these things. I, I know that it makes sense and I, and I feel that it's right, that there's something about it that I'm drawn to and, and, and there's that emotional draw to it. There's the logical, this makes sense, the, the, that emotional, the, I know this is something, there's something that's drawing me to this. And, and, and listen, this is, if, if we just focus on this alone, we'll never get there. But, but it, it's what kind of gives us this, this moving from one event to the next and asking Christ into our heart every time there's an altar call. It's that, it's that emotional high that drives us, that, that rides from one event to the next. Maybe if you grew up in church and you remember like, like going to camp and then you had to wait till the next year when you went to camp for that next emotional high. That's like there's something drawing me to this, but there's not really that firm faith yet. 
There's an emotional element of the faith. There's logical and emotional. There's intellectual that we know it. We know that these things are true. And listen, this is the Pharisees. They knew the word. They knew these things to be true, but they missed Jesus. They put their, their, they put their faith in their intellectual and in the, in the things that they knew, and it failed them. And then the lastly, where it works all of those things together, the logical, the emotional, the intellectual is the yielding. Faith that's real faith is all of these elements wrapped into one where we yield our lives to God. Where we say, yes, yes, there's something bigger. Obviously there's something bigger. I don't understand it all. And emotionally I'm drawn to it. It stirs my heart and there's a love that's there. And intellectually I know that these things are true, but ultimately I'm going to yield my life to him. It all comes together. We give our lives, we confess that he is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead and we are saved is what it says in Abraham. And as we assess his faith, as faith that God leads, to, leads him to, de- faith in God that leads God to declare that he's righteous. A faith that saves him is a faith that understood that God made a promise. Abraham believed those promises and then he rearranged his life around those promises. He yielded his life to say, I'm going to follow you. I I know you made these promises. I believe what you say. And I'm going to rearrange my life. I'm going to yield my life to you. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And that's the next part is that we have an appreciation for Abraham's faith. As I was getting prepared for this, I was really excited. And uh, there's just way too much. Uh, And so... There's really like three sermons here. So I, we're going we're gonna to jump through this real quick. But just know I, I, I want you to take the time this week uh, to grab, to, whether you have the actual journal, masterclass journal, or you go online, whatever, uh, to read through Romans chapter 4 this week, to meditate on these passages. Because I believe that as, as you work through it, what you're going to see is this appreciation for Abraham's faith. Verse 18, it says this, that against all hope, Abraham hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Paul's being pretty blunt, right? He, he is old is what he's saying. And since he was 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead, like there was no life coming from Sarah's womb. He was old, she was old. There's no reason for them to think that they're going to have a baby at this point. Yet he did, excuse me, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it is credited to him as righteousness. The word, it was credited to him, were written not only for him alone, but for also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead. Listen, There's an appreciation for Abraham's faith because he had faith when faith was foolish. If you're following along, he had faith when faith seemed foolish. First Corinthians, Paul writes, but but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
And if you go back to the passage, I mean, it, it, was, it was foolish for him to think that, that what, is, what God has promised to him was actually going to come about. He was as good as dead. Her womb was not supposed to have a baby. He's left everything banking on this one promise. Everything. If this doesn't happen, he's lost everything. So he puts his faith in a God that he says, I believe that God can do what he says that he can do, no matter how foolish it sounds, how foolish it seems, I believe God can do it. And God gets all the glory because God did all the work. If this was a story of a 30-year-old, this would not be a great faith story. It's a story of a 100-year-old man and his 90-something-year-old wife that God put a baby inside of her womb. It was only by God. Only God could do that. And that's the kind of faith that God has called us to. Faith that, that, that walks no matter what, that, that's obedient to God's will, no matter what it looks like. Faith in God is going to look foolish to our culture, not only to just our culture at large, it's going to look foolish to your friends. Faith in God, trusting God the way that God, Abraham trusts God is gonna look foolish to your family. It's going to look foolish sometimes to your spouse, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. It's going to look foolish when you're, when you're following God, when you're trusting God to do the things that he says that he's going to do, to live the life that he's called you to live in a culture that says everything goes when you're saying, no, I'm going to follow what God says. I'm going to put my hope in what God says, not in what the world tells me, what our culture says is where life is found. It's going to look foolish. But I've said this before, my hope for us is that we have this kind of faith, even when it seems foolish, that we have faith, that we're faithfully obedient to God's word and to what he's called us to no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter the cost. That we remain faithful and obedient to him. Faith that seems foolish Last thing under that is in the appreciation is that his faith grew when he faced those obstacles. He faced some pretty significant obstacles in believing what God had promised him, but in that his faith grew. And each of us are gonna face obstacles when we, when we, when we commit to walk faithfully to God. And, and rather than falling away, we follow this example and we, we press in and hold fast to him and our faith grows as we see God move, as we see God fulfill his promises over and over again. And that's what happened for, for Abraham. As you read the story in Genesis, he saw God do these things. As we read, as we just sang, I've witnessed, I've witnessed God do this and I can, wit I can trust that he's gonna do this next thing that he promised me. I've witnessed him do this and so I can trust him in this. I've witnessed him be faithful here and I can trust him to be faithful here. His faith grew even though he faced obstacles. And the last thing is that there's an, or there's an application for us from his faith. The first one is this, that, there's, that, that faith rejects doing and rest in what has been done. I'm just going to go through all these real quick for you, and then we'll jump back, and I want to highlight a couple things. Faith rejects doing and rest in what has been done. Second one, a growing relationship with God is essential for growing faith in God. 
A growing relationship with God is essential for growing faith in God. Third, remaining steadfast in our faith is the result of holding fast to the object of our faith. Remaining steadfast in our faith is the result of remaining or result of holding fast to the object of our faith. And lastly, that God is always faithful to his promises and sometimes faithful to my expectations. Always faithful to his promises, sometimes faithful to my expectations. Let me wrap this up. The one that I want us to hold on to the most is this. If you look at the timeline of when, when God declares Abraham righteous, it is before he takes on this sign and this seal that it's called in scripture of circumcision. The outward sign of an inward reality, right? The, the outward sign of what God has already done. God has he set apart them as his people and this was the sign that he gave them. But circumcision throughout, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament is really referring to all of God's law, right? When we follow that law and this was the outward sign that these were God's people. But God had credited to Abraham righteousness before that. The act that he gave, this act of circumcision was not the moment that he was credited righteousness. The moment that he was credited righteousness was when he trusted God to do what God said he would do despite all of the things that he looked at and said, that's impossible. The action of the, the faith is what credited to him righteousness. That's why it goes back to, that's why we, that's why we go back to this and, and why, why what Paul is saying, he's like, hey, listen to the Romans, it's not about what you do. It's about what God's done. We reject this whole idea that it's about, it's about what we do to earn God's favor, to earn God's love for us. No, it's about what God did. When, when Abraham trusted God, God declared him righteousness because he put his faith in him. Would he fumble? Yes. Would he do it perfectly? No. But he was righteous because he trusted God. And God declared him righteousness, righteous and began to treat him as righteous. Even though he, had, he, was, he still fumbled the ball, he began to treat him as though he was righteous. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we reject doing, we reject trying, working for our salvation because we realize that Christ has already done the work. And we rest in what he's done. And so our faith looks backwards Whereas Abraham looked forward and said, I know that you're gonna fulfill this promise. Our faith looks backwards and says, I've seen you already fulfill this promise. And I trust you. And because of it, he declares us righteous. He saves us and makes us new. Like I said, I want, you, I want to encourage you over the next several days to go through and, and, and read this, this passage, read, read Romans 4. And maybe from, from, these, from, from what you've written down, there's some questions there that you can ask and write in your journals of, of, of what does it look like to remain steadfast in our faith by holding fast to the object of our faith? What does that look like for us? Write some, maybe write some things down on what that looks like. And, and the last thing, that God is always faithful to, to his promises and sometimes faithful to my expectations. What do I mean? I mean, some of us are holding fast to some expectations that we have of what God was going to do. 
when God's never really promised those things to us. What I can know is that God is going to be faithful to his promises. What I cannot be confident of is that God is gonna be faithful to my promises that I've made myself. When I was a young, young, young kid, probably not elementary school, I promised myself as I prayed to God that I would get a three-wheeler one day. I know, three-wheeler, like, they still make those? No, they're totally dangerous, and uh, nobody should ever ride on one. But I was like, God, I, will you, give, you say you'll give me the desires of my heart. I want a three-wheeler. Brenda was like, no, you ain't getting no three-wheeler. I was like, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God. I never got one. And, and I realize, like, I, I think about that all the time. I, I do. I, I, you're like, you have other things to think about. I do have other things to think about. But I think about that all the time, that I made promises to myself. And God's not faithful all the time to my promises. I, must, I have to submit my desires to him. He's always going to be faithful to his promises. And we can know his promises as we open his word, as we spend time with him in his word. We can know what his promises are, and he's going to be faithful to those promises. And we submit our expectations and the things that we promise ourselves to him and trust that he knows better than we do. And for some of us, that may be painful, but we have to submit those things to him and know that his promises are better, and he knows better what we need than we know ourselves. And so for some of us this week, what we need to do is just submit those things to him. Say, God, I want to trust you more than I trust myself to know what's best for me and know that you will be faithful to your promises and your promises are better than my promises. This morning, as we wrap up, I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're just gonna sing uh, just one more song. I think that this, this is the, what I'm supposed to do at this point. Look at that. Yep, there we go. Ben, come back up and we're just gonna sing just a song. And, and this is as much a, a time of, of uh, of worship for us, but I want to ask you just to remain seated and, and just kind of enjoy the singing of this song. As it, it is kind of a benediction, um, but it's also just a gift, uh, a, a, an opportunity for us just to celebrate God's God's faithfulness, uh, and then for for all of us just to have a a, a gift of um, hearing from some other folks that maybe we don't always hear from, and being blessed on this on this particular morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing uh, together, Lord. Uh, we thank you for today, and we thank you that you are faithful to your promises, and we've seen that in the past. We've witnessed it, and God, we will tell of it to, the, to those uh, that you put us in front of. And we just pray, God, that you would just remind us of your faithfulness. And this week, as we spend time in your word and daily steps, God, that you would meet us in that place and open our eyes to the beauty of your word, but also, God, to, to this faithfulness, your faithfulness and the faith of Abraham and the calling that you've placed on our lives to follow you in the same way, to put our faith in you, knowing that you are able to fulfill your promises. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.